0: It's 1992. I had just finished my first year of rabbinical school, and I was serving as a student rabbi for the High Holy Days. Two weeks before Rosh Hashanah, the senior rabbi calls me and asks me this question. Sydney, can you chant kol nidrei on Yom Kippur? What? Can I chant Kol Nidre on Yom Kippur? Yes, I remember saying, "Yes, yeah, sure, I can chant Kol Nidre on Yom Kippur." What did I just say? Kol Nidre, the most intense and powerful piece of our liturgy of the entire Jewish year, the call home to ourselves to this place. The words that blow open the gates of Chuvah that force us to confront our own spiritual and actual death. Since I was a child, I went to synagogue with my mom, with my grandmother, every single Kol Nidre. The cantor lifted us and an entire congregation this size literally out of our seats. And then it hit me. I didn't know the words to Kol Nidre. (laughs) I could hum Kol Nidre. Had I been sick in rabbinical school that day? It was kol nidre. What are these words of kol nidre that hold the power to open up this holiest day and beckons each of us to come home, to stand together, and acknowledge our failings, our flaws, where we have missed the mark, and find an opening where we might become more like ourselves this year? We said it tonight together, all vows we are likely to make, all oaths and pledges we are likely to take between this Yom Kippur and the next. We publicly renounce them. Let them all be relinquished and abandoned, null and void. Let our vows, pledges, and oaths be considered neither vows, pledges, nor oaths. That's Kol Nidre, an Aramaic legal formula that doesn't mention God or the Book of Life or Avinu Malkeinu, or Tzedakah, or Tefillah, or Tshuva, nothing. Kol Nidre has absolutely nothing to do with Yom Kippur. It actually used to be said on Rosh Hashanah. But because more people came to show on Yom Kippur, we moved it to this day. You wouldn't believe the things that we do liturgically for convenience sake, but we don't tell you. It's actually chanted three times at the beginning of the service so that the people who can't find parking can hear it at least once. Now that's an emiss. That is the truth. Can you imagine Kol Nidre tonight without Kol Nidre? How many of you here have been to the Diaspora Museum in Tel Aviv, if you've been to Israel? You should really go. It's being completely renovated. And the new Museum of the Jewish People will feature a permanent exhibit on Jewish prayer. And what do you think the prayer is that they are going to focus on? The museum has sent photographers to 12 communities around the world tonight to photograph the customs of those 12 synagogues and to record their cantors chanting Kol Nidre. That's what represents Jews praying around the world. So the next time you're in Tel Aviv, go check out the exhibit where you will find pictures of us because we're one of the 12 synagogues that were chosen for this Yom Kippur. And the voices that will accompany those images of the 12 communities are the voices of Cantor Barak and Cantor Addy chanting Kol Nidre. Kol Nidre has become such a standard spiritual of our people and America that Hollywood elevated into the mainstream when it became the first song that was ever sung in a talkie movie. It was in 1927, and it was Al Jolson, and it was called The Jazz Singer. Go watch it after Yom Kippur. It's phenomenal. Although Jews and non-Jews have come to associate Kol Nidre with the height of the High Holy Days and almost has achieved national anthem status, it's one of the most controversial pieces of liturgy in our entire tradition. From the moment it was composed, many Jewish authorities tried their best to make sure we never uttered the words out loud. One of the fears that the Babylonian rabbis had was an association with Aramaic pagan rituals, which were very close to the text of Kol Nidre. The Aramaic were written on incantation bowls that would release the owner of curses and of evil. Kol Nidre was written in the 8th century, and although it was in the first prayer book of Rav Amrams at that time, he said it was a foolish foolish minhag, a foolish custom, and we should never say the words. This began a trend of rabbinic authorities who forbade Kol Nidre on Yom Kippur. They were afraid that ignorant Jews might mistake it as a way to be absolved of any vow or any deal they made with another human being, instead of what it actually says, which is that it only pertains to vows that you make with yourself. In the Middle Ages, there was a widespread belief by non-Jews that the Kol Nidre was a vehicle that allowed Jews to perjure themselves in their business dealings. And Christian courts actually instituted a Jews' oath to discredit the Kol Nidre. It was that powerful. During the forced conversions of the Inquisition, the Muranos recited the Kol Nidre and Yom Kippur as a way to be released of the false vow when they had converted under duress. And what about us, our own reform movement? When did we start using the words of Kol Nidre? Take a guess. What year was it? 1961. It wasn't until then that the words to Kol Nidre were included in our own Union prayer book. Until that time, it was either a melody that was just played on the organ, or they took a substitute reading, Psalm 130, and they read that over the music that was played on the organ. Even Isaac Mayer-Wise, the originator of reform Judaism in this country, was anti kol Nidre. The words and the melody are an invitation, a reminder, and an opportunity to come inside here and then make the melody your own. For some of us, the melody takes us back to sitting here or another synagogue with our parents, or our grandparents, our family who accompanied us in our life. Cantor Addy shared with me that Kol Nidre expresses the essential feeling of all of Yom Kippur for her, a melody in words that encompass forgiveness and compassion for the world. Kol Nidre has two forms, the Sephardic and the Ashkenazi. The Sephardic says, from last Yom Kippur until this Yom Kippur may all my vows be forgiven, and the Ashkenazi says, from this Yom Kippur until the next one, we do Ashkenazi, may all of my vows be forgiven, which leaves what moment? The one you're breathing in, that's it. Which I think, when you think about the word hineni, about being totally present in the moment, that's all we have on this day. nidre becomes a reminder that we can stay in the past, that during our prayers we can think about how ashamed we are, how guilty we are about what we could have done last year, what we should have done last year, or we can be like the Ashkenazim and we can be angsty, having anxiety and worry about what's gonna happen next year. Or we can be right here, right now. Kol Nidre teaches that words are null and void unless they're accompanied by words and action. People remember what you do but not what you say. Believe me, I know. I have stood on this pulpit for 18 years. I've given 18 sermons. And if I asked you honestly how many of those sermons you remember in the past 18 years, now remember, it's Yom Kippur. If you were honest, you would say maybe two or three. But don't worry, I'm not offended, because I only remember two or three of my own sermons. So. As a rabbi who lives within the moments of the sacred Jewish calendar, I understand why we are full to overflowing only on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, because these are the two days that have to do with life and death, or our imagined understanding that if we don't show up tonight, well, just in case, we'll come. But in the Bible, the big holiday was Sukkot, which was like the Yom Kippur of the good old days, except it came with food and wine. Judaism is a religion of sacred time, and although I love being with you here on this sacred moment, at this holy time, I honestly wish that we would spend more holy time together. It is Yom Kippur, and it's also Shabbat, but it's a trifecta in time for the Jewish people. This moment is a rare confluence of three of the most significant traditions in the Jewish calendar. Yom Kippur, our time for contemplation, Shabbat, the day of rest, and it's also the beginning of the Shemitah year. This entire year, 5775, according to Leviticus in the portion of Bahar, is the one year out of seven that we let all of the earth and ourselves rest. For six years, we work on the land, we focus on the outer world, and on this seventh year, it's for our sake to return to our own land and cultivate what's inside of us. It's just like an enormous Shabbat. Abraham Joshua Heschel says, Six days a week, we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth. On the Sabbath, we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in our soul. The world has our hands, but our soul belongs to someone else. Yom Kippur may be the pent-ultimate Jewish moment of our Jewish year, but it's only one moment. It's only this breath, one out of a 50-day arc that begins on the first of Elul, the month that precedes Rosh Hashanah when we start to blow the shofar. The rabbis were very wise to understand that we mortals need serious preparation leading up to the days of awe, or we get to be like some of the people who call the morning of Rosh Hashanah and say, is it Rosh Hashanah? Can I have tickets? (laughs) We blow the shofar for 28 days so that nobody will be in doubt about what is coming, what is approaching. And then we read Psalm 27 each day of those 50 days between the first of Elul and Simcha Torah. This is a section of that psalm. One thing I ask of you, one thing I seek, to dwell in the presence all the days of my life, to awaken to the beauty of each moment as I pass through this world. Imagine if every single day for 50 days you woke up in the morning and you said, One thing I ask of you, one thing I seek, is to dwell in the presence, the presence of the Holy One, all the days of my life, to awaken to the beauty of each moment as I pass through this world. Instead of Facebook and The New York Times, instead of NPR, imagine if that was the first thing that came out of your lips in the morning. What would it feel like to read from the prayer book today? On the Shabbat, right before Rosh Hashanah, we gather for Slichot, which is the service where we change the Torah covers to all white, reminding us that we are about to put on our own kittels, our shrouds, a reminder of the day of death that draws near. It tells us it's time to return to the now, to the present. Now, you're here for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. I don't need to explain that to you. But what you might not know is that the very first mitzvah that we must accomplish after Yom Kippur, after the fast, is not eating. It's not breaking the fast. It is, in fact, going out to your sukkah and taking a hammer and putting the first nail in to remind us that we have another eight days of dwelling in a place of total vulnerability and fragility, of going into our sukkot. And finally, we observe that last eighth day of sukkot called Shemini Atzeret, which is the time where it says that God is still hanging around waiting for us to teach us that when the gates of Nila close, they don't ever close. God just wants to be close to us at this time. And my second favorite holiday, Simcha Torah, is on that eighth day. And we unroll the entire Torah around our community. And everybody stands inside. And we read the very last chapter, and we read the very first chapter, and we read them linked like this. So that the last letter, Yisrael, and the first letter, Bet from Bereshit, touch. And those two letters, lev and bet, when they're in a circle around our community, are the word for heart, lev. The next Shabbat, we start the whole over again for the year. Which is why, if you run into one of us, one of the clergy in the middle of October, it looks like we need a spa day. (laughs) This year, I'm going to challenge each one of you in this sanctuary to take a risk. Each year, at this time, we look in the mirror. We take a cheshbon hanefesh, the account of our soul, and we ask the question that God asked Adam in the Garden of Eden, ayeka, where are you? I'm going to ask you to take a risk, because this year I decided to take a risk. I've wanted to be a rabbi since I was 10 years old, four years ago, (laughs) if it only felt that way. I've been your rabbi for 18 years, and you've been my family for that long. And being here with you is familiar and comfortable. And I feel like I am doing what I'm called to do. But I have to be honest with you. On Yom Kippur, I have not been practicing what I preach. And being comfortable is not what being a rabbi is all about. And being comfortable is not what being a Jew is all about, either. I tell you, take time for yourself. Spend time with your family. This might be your last Yom Kippur. Go off the grid somewhere. Meditate. Do what's close to your heart. And many of you have asked, what am I going to do after next year? First of all, I'm going to work on trying to be a little bit more like myself and channel a little bit more of God into the world. I want to go back to the basics and learn and teach more Torah. That's what inspired me at 10 years old to go into the God business in the first place. And that's why I'm here. It reminds me of the beautiful, words of T.S. Eliot who said, the end of all of our exploring will be to arrive at the beginning and know that place for the very first time. Which is very much like when we say the words, vinashuva chadesh yamenu keketem," cause us to return to the days when we were completely new to this world. I'm definitely going to write and I hope that my two-dimensional writing lifts up and becomes three-dimensional in our world. And I have to tell you that what I love most about Shabbat when I'm not here is baking challah. I have baked challah twice in the past year. So pick up your machzor for a minute, your prayer book. Just put it on your lap, hold it in your hands. It's a prayer book that we take out two days a year. Some of the words that we say in this prayer book alone and together feel right, some feel wrong, some don't feel like anything at all, at least that's what it seems like to me. So the challenge that I'm talking about, the risk that I'm asking you to take tonight, is to take the words that you do feel are right and take them off the pages of the Mahzor and take them with you out of this sanctuary on your way. Even if you don't literally believe the words in the Mahzor or you struggle to understand that God exists, I want you to exercise your privilege and your responsibility to be Menchi Jews. Ten days ago, Rosh Hashanah was about the birthday of the entire world. Tonight, Yom Kippur is about your birthday, the birthday of your soul. So come back with me to the beginning. When Rabbi Hillel was asked to explain all of our tradition on one foot, he said this Treat other people the way you wish to be treated. The rest is commentary. He took it right out of Leviticus, the golden rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you treat yourself as holy, if you believe you're a vessel for God, how how can you not treat other people that way? On Rosh Hashanah, at about 4.45 at the end of that day, my partner Justine walked out to the corner of Arguello and Lake and. There was one of our security guards, and she turned to him, and she shook his hand, and she said, Shana Tovah, Happy New Year, and thank you. And he said, that's what this is all about? <laughs> the Jewish New Year? I wish somebody had told us. We had no idea. We just thought we were guarding the temple. And she said, what do you mean? Hasn't anybody talked to you? And he said, you're the first person. He had been standing there from 7 o'clock in the morning. He wasn't going to leave until 7 o'clock at night. 4,000 of us had come into the sanctuary. We had prayed the words of the Mahsor, We talked about how we're going to be good. We're going to reflect the spirit of God in the world. And we walked by a human being whose entire purpose for those 12 hours was to protect us and guard our sacred sanctuary on this day. You are no better or worse than anyone sitting in the sanctuary or outside of it. And neither am I. Kol Nidre opens the door when we're facing both life and death. The book of life and the book of death. When we say, kotvenu besefer chayim, inscribe me in the book of life, I always, in maybe a simplistic way, used to think about these two books. But it's not two books. It's one book. Each one of us just has a different number of chapters left in ours. Death is as natural an ending as birth is a beginning. So I'm telling you, stop spending so much time being afraid to die, because we're all dying. What I want you to fear is that you're still on the same page that you were on last year at this time, that you have not left the scripted part of life that maybe somebody else wrote for you, and that you're still complaining or gossiping about the same thing you were last year. Between Kol Nidre and Neila. Tomorrow, when the sun sets and the gates close, between this Yom Kippur and the next, and between today, this yom, and this breath, and the rest of your days, you only have control over one thing, this moment and the way that you act in it. So go out from the sanctuary tonight and take the verses, the words, the pages to life with you on your way. When you get in your car or go on the bus, in the doctor's office on Monday or in your parent-teacher conference, to the person who sent you your High Holy Day tickets, to your spouse, your child, your parent, your friend, the guy behind the counter, the man texting in the car in front of you who you want to kill, (laughs) the PG&E worker who's blocking your driveway. Treat yourself and every single person that you meet from this breath forward as though you and they are God, as though you and they are one. That's it. And the rest is commentary. One more thing. I learned the words. Nidre Sare, Veharame, Veconame, Vehinu ye, Vikinu say, Veshevoo. Thank you.